Welcome to PD Insider, the podcast edition. In each episode, we bring you conversations with experts in the law firm professional development community so that you can stay current on industry trends, topics, and innovations. In this episode, PLI's Craig Miller speaks with Ida Abbott of Ida Abbott Consulting and Morgan Smith of Dykema. Ida and Morgan explore the theory and practice of successful attorney mentorship programs, as well as the range of considerations facing any law firm developing or managing mentorship programs. Welcome. We're pleased to have you join us today. What do you identify as the one, two, or three key factors to a successful mentoring program? I think the uh, primary factor is having clear objectives for the reason for the program. What are you trying to accomplish? Because if people, if you don't know it and the people in the program don't know it, how does anybody know what to do or how are you going to assess whether the program's working? So um, that's the, probably the most important factor. Someone has to be overseeing the program. It's not a naturally occurring relationship that the people in the program have. So the fact that it is a program means someone really has to be paying attention to it and making sure that it's proceeding the way you want and that people are doing what's expected of them. Um, and I think, you know, the, th the third piece, I think, is cl making sure that you're managing expectations so that it's not just a matter of what people are going to expect as an outcome, but what are they supposed to do when they're together. So uh, making sure that they understand what they're supposed to do, what they're getting out, should be getting out of it, what the outcomes are going to be is all, all of those things are really important. No, and I definitely agree working um, inside the law firm on mentoring programs, one of the key things for us is to reiterate what the role of each participant is expected to be and to follow up. Um, as the person running or watching the program that Ida described, my job is to every three to six weeks touch everybody involved and make sure they haven't forgotten they're participating um, in the busy practice of law. They need to sometimes be reminded it's time to make time for it again. Yes, and like you say, it's not a naturally occurring relationship and that sort of distinguishes informal mentoring from the institution of a mentoring program within the organization. What distinguishes mentoring from coaching? Well, mentoring is broader. Mentoring can encompass coaching, but mentoring has a much broader focus on overall professional development and career advancement. Uh, coaches tend to be more focused on performance and on goal setting. So it may be performance in terms of improving or changing the way you behave, the way you uh, produce your work, the way you manage, but, uh, and it also, uh, may have to do with setting goals for your career uh, for the next six months or you know kind of developing a business plan or something like that where a coach can help you identify the goals that you set for yourself and then they support you as you work toward those goals. Uh, mentors can do that but they also can do many other things. Would you say coaching is more transactional in nature and that mentoring uh really is more relationship-based? If mentoring is done right, it shouldn't be transactional. And uh, coaching doesn't have to be, but it often is. A lot of firms have internal coaches, mm -hmm. and um, coaches can do 
a lot of, of uh, the things within a firm that mentors traditionally have done in terms of giving feedback that they can collect from other lawyers. Uh, but mentors can do more in terms of getting somebody a work assignment or something like that that a coach might not be able to do. Um, I will say because a formal mentoring program by its nature is contrived, um, it's meant to supplement or make up for any informal or organic mentoring that doesn't happen. So we use that as a way to make sure that people who perhaps have different backgrounds or look different than the more senior lawyers don't get overlooked because there's not that natural connection or perhaps living in the same neighborhood or having gone to the same schools. And so we do use mentoring to help make sure that everybody's exposed to a variety of people, especially if they have in common practice interests, um, values, volunteer experiences, things they might not find out about on their own. Um, we try to set the stage, if you will. Um, for them to, to connect in that way. One of the nice things about mentoring, one of the, the real uh, benefits, you know, as Morgan points out, is that uh, it can introduce you to somebody. You can develop a relationship with somebody that goes beyond simply you know, getting information, where the, the fact that it goes deeper, when it goes deeper, uh, gives you a different perspective and different point of view. So it isn't going to create diversity, but it, it can lead to a greater understanding that creates a more inclusive environment. And so uh, it's really important in that sense uh, and for that purpose. Some firms um, have been very successful in utilizing mentoring. Mentoring alone is not going to do it. That's the other big po point. But mentoring can be one of the facilitating factors to uh, produce an environment that is more inclusive. When you talk about mentoring itself, can't necessarily uh, do it all um, in, in relationships that go deeper. Uh, where does sponsorship fit into this and uh, what's its importance? Well, sponsorship is actually something that's being used much more now for diversity and inclusion, inclusion purposes um, because it's more intense. So let me define what it is. Uh, there was research done a few years ago to find out why women who had mentors weren't being advanced. They weren't moving up and they weren't getting the same benefits of mentoring that men were tending to get. And what was found by several studies was that there are components of mentoring that are more advocacy oriented. And the people who had mentors who served as advocates were the ones who tended to move up. They'd get promotions, they would get raises, they would get more client contact, things like that, that always you know, help when you're trying to move ahead. And those were tended to be men. And this, the mentors who were providing those, that kind of sponsorship was, were other men. And so the concept was named sponsorship. In my, you know, when I was a, a young lawyer, uh, we looked at that as what real mentorship was. Today, we look at it as two separate things, even though I still see it as the highest kind of mentoring. So that uh, if you have a mentor who's got some clout, that mentor who, if they really know you and they think you're somebody who's a high performer, a lot of potential, somebody who's, who's uh, really ambitious and wants to move ahead, they give you extra help. It's a more active 
kind of help. So we talk about it in terms of, you know, talking about you when you're not in the room, being, being your champion when you're not there instead of just saying nice things about you to your face. And so um, the, the need for champions and sponsors becomes much more important. It's always valuable, but it becomes much more important as you start thinking about moving ahead and moving, you know, after you've already been there for a while, you've established your credentials and your people see you as a good performer, then you need somebody to really kind of bump you up. So that's very interesting. So uh, in sort of a continuum, then there would be sort of coaching and then mentoring and then sponsorship. Uh, it's sort of the apex of, of that, uh, that uh, triumvirate. Uh, and Morgan, can you talk about any experiences you've seen of sponsorship? Uh, whether within a program or just on a more ad hoc basis? I think more and more firms like mine are looking at whether we should have a formal sponsorship program because our formal mentoring programs are in the first couple years typically, and then we do a little bit at right before partnership, and then they're sort of left on their own. Right. Um, and so there's, there's room for the next level, as you indicated, um, in a more formal setting to supplement what's happening naturally. I will say the one other factor for my firm and for others, I'm sure, is we're so spread out. You know, we have almost 400 lawyers in 14 offices across the country. So we try to connect people across offices too, because maybe the perfect sponsor for you doesn't sit down the hall from you. Maybe they're the next state over. And you had asked about uh, diversity and inclusion. This is an area that is having finally some real impact on uh, benefiting women and diverse lawyers. A lot of firms are experimenting with sponsorship programs. Some have been doing it now for several years. Some are not that elaborate, but uh, typically you've got partners and many of them powerful partners who are acting as the sponsors internally. Well, and at least um, from the inside the firm perspective and looking at things like sponsorship programs, that's one of the questions each firm has to determine culturally for themselves. Are they comfortable publicly identifying their high performers or is that something that only management knows? Um, and so that's something that causes some of us to take more time, perhaps, to make a decision about what to do. Um, because the most effective sponsorship programs I've seen publicly identify who the firm views as high performers, which means somebody is not. Well, first of all, if it's open to everybody, what you have is a mentoring program. It may be a different focus for your for a program. It may be on advancement. That's great, that's fine. Yeah, I can say from my experience in the corporate world, when you did have programs that uh, identified high potentials, one of the key elements of that program was to make it open and known that this was uh, a high potential program and that the, the participants did meet the criteria. Uh, some did apply, some were selected, some were nominated. There was usually you know, various selection processes involved, but the pu publicizing the fact was considered one of the key elements of a program, so it's, it's a little different in the law firm world. Right, right. We do things that we take turns, mm -hmm. like, like practice groups will nominate, here are the three lawyers I want to go to NIDA training next week, next year, mm -hmm. versus the ones that should wait another year. But that's not, um, that's not a quality definition on its surface, even if that performance criteria may be behind the nominations. You need to get not only high-performing associates, you need to get the top partners who are the busiest, the most in demand, the least likely to volunteer because they don't have the time. And they have somebody they're probably already sponsoring 
naturally, you know, right? And so you need to get them to participate actively and you're asking more of them than you're asking in a regular mentoring program. So if you are going to do that, making sure that you're identifying people who the firm recognizes are the highest performers and you can say, we see this person as the future of the firm mm -hmm. and we all know it, then it's an honor for you to be invited to be a sponsor um, as opposed to a burden. And so you need to be able to recruit people and the way to do that is by letting them know they're being asked to support the best right. associates that the we have. The best for the best, right. yes. Right. Okay, great. Uh, thinking about mentoring programs themselves and the, pro and the proliferation of mentoring programs, we know that there are various models that are out there that have been employed and there are different theories in support of those models. So I guess I'd like to ask uh, you, Ida, from your you know, vantage point of a as a consultant to talk about you know, some of those models and the theories behind them. And then Morgan, based upon you know, your experience in firms, uh, what it's been like to actually implement and manage those kinds of programs. Um, I mean, the one we all know is the one-on-one. -on -one. Somebody's assigned, sometimes it might be two mentors to an, an associate, uh, as junior and a senior, or a junior, a junior mentor and a partner mentor, or something like that. Um, and those typically are to orient new arrivals, whether they're lateral lawyers or, or new associates. Um, they might be to um, uh, help with work assignments, just help them get through and get established in the first part of their career. Um, and I'm sure you have a program right. like that. We do all of my firms, <laughs> okay. even back in the day before everybody had them, all of my firms have had those programs under different names. Um, but it's really meant to get more at integration into the office, into the practice area, and into the practice of law. Um, you know, I'm based in our Chicago office, and Illinois has a program on professionalism that involves mentoring. Uh, which we use now nationally because we really like it. Um, one of the things that we think it's really important for new lawyers, first-year lawyers or junior laterals to get is a sense of the value and the ethics of the place because those can be slightly different from firm to firm. And so we want to make sure that that's really a part of how they adjust and become part of the, the law firm family. Um, we typically do it for about two years for those early groups. Um, Many of them stay in some sort of mentoring relationship for their entire career, and some of them are, are when it's done, they never see each other again. Mm -hmm. It just depends on whether they develop that natural mentoring relationship through the formal program. And then I think the next most common program, I mean, that is by far and away the most common one. Uh, a lot of firms also have either group mentoring or mentoring circles. Uh, group mentoring is where one or t usually about two mentors, typically partners or senior associates and a senior associate and a partner, will be the mentors to a group of lawyers. And they might be five or six associates in the group. And uh, the mentors tend to lead the group. So they act as the mentors to the associates. In a mentoring circle, it also uses a group context and um, basically nobody runs the group. People take turns, uh, both setting the agenda, facilitating the discussion, maybe bringing in uh, an outside speaker or, or whatever. But the group discusses 
whatever they want to discuss. They set the agenda as a, as a group. And um, so, you know, there are a lot of different ways that, uh, that those can be configured. And do you have a, a group? Um, at, any at groups Dicoma, in your Yeah, at Dicoma, we do have a group mentoring program. Um, and we chose group over circle because I worked with Ida at a former firm on mentoring circles for women and found that the administrative department kept getting looked to to keep things moving. Um, so we decided to try a group um, program for what we call practice development mentoring. And that's for our senior associates that are a year or two away from consideration for promotion. And we really wanted to provide them with access to what we call demonstrated rainmakers. So we actually look for partners with a certain book of business and ask them to work with typically a group of either all transactional or all advocacy lawyers. Um, so we wanted the expertise of the rainmaker, but we also wanted peers in similar practices to get to work together and learn from each other. So we tried to combine the best of the peer circle with the more directed group. And you know, it's, it's something that's also important to keep in mind when we're talking about programs. You can have the most elegantly designed program. Uh, it can look perfect on paper, but really what counts is what happens between the people involved, between or in this case among, and you can't always control that. As, as we talk about diversity and inclusion, uh, are race and gender factors that should also be taken into account when making these uh, matches between mentor and mentee? Um, in my experience, that's a person-by-person -person question. There are some people who are coming into the firm who might really benefit from having somebody of the same race or the same gender or the same ethnicity, and others for whom it might actually be better to have somebody different. Um, and that's part of knowing our folks, um, either through the recruiting process or as a summer associate, um, to help figure out who the right, the right match is. Um, and I will say, um, the reality of law firm is, life is, if I have a corporate lawyer joining the firm, there may or may not be a corporate partner of the same race, gender, or ethnicity. So sometimes it's not an option, um, and sometimes it is, but it, it isn't where we start. It's a part of the full package for us. Well, I always go back to the purpose of the program. Um, if it's just introductory, it may not be a factor. It might be if the purpose of the program is to help somebody generally in terms of their development or in terms of their advancement, um, I would look at what the associate needs and what the mentor can provide. What you want is to match up the need and the ability so that there's some benefit. Um, but again, you look at why you've got this program in the first place. This is one of the reasons is that you have a better sense of what you're looking for in a match. In terms of specifically about race and gender, um, I think it's a problem that we can't, and we often make assumptions, not just the people administering the program, but the people who are in the program. A lot of times, a woman or a minority thinks they need to have as a mentor somebody who's like them. And sometimes they do. So are you, who are you going to match her with? So you look at what she's looking for, what she needs. And then if possible, if you only have a few lawyers who are uh, potential mentors of a particular race, a particular demographic of any kind, um, that's where a group can come in, an affinity group, and you can run it like a mentoring group. So you give access to people um, and you make, you make someone like them available to the extent you can, um, who they can go to to talk about these things. But uh, in terms of, of actually matching them, I think it's much more important to look at 
how you can benefit me and whether I want that kind of benefit. Um, and if it's a diversity program in particular, uh, it becomes a more important question uh, because you can't assume that if I'm a woman, a woman should be my mentor. Um, there are plenty of reasons why the person who should be my mentor, I mean, the person, my mentor should be a, a, a man. Um, and there may be reasons that you want to make sure that a woman who is a mentor is mentoring a man and uh, not uh, mentoring only the women in the firm. And so, um, you know, you look at it, it is really individualized. The whole point of mentoring is individual relationships. And so you want this to be personal and um, to, to match people on the basis of, of those kinds of personal needs and, and abilities uh, rather than on general demographic data. You raised a number of very interesting points before when we were talking about gender um, and diversity. One of the things I'd like to explore is you know, how do you get men involved and get them to overcome their fear so that they're more willing to participate in these kinds of programs? Because I, I think uh, the research that we're starting to see is showing that it can't just be women for women, although that certainly can be a part of it, but the men still maintain a great deal of power within these structures and that for, success, for the success of the women in these, who are in these structures, that they do need the men to participate. Do you have any, any sense of that? Well, the, I mean, you don't see anybody standing up and saying, I won't mentor a woman. However, they won't say it to your face, but on surveys, there have been several, including in uh, the legal world, uh, both here and in Australia, and the results have been a significant decline in the number of men saying they are willing to uh, mentor, we, they don't even talk about sponsoring, uh, unwilling to mentor women, and um, unwilling to even spend time alone uh, with women. And so that is very, very troubling. Uh, what, what it says to me is that, first of all, a lot of men are using it. The men who are doing it are using it as an excuse for something they felt anyway. This isn't, you know, suddenly I feel afraid. A lot of them have not wanted to do it for whatever reason. And, you know, I mean, I'm, people talk to me about things they won't say at work. I've talked, I've had, done seminars and programs where everybody will tell me it's all hunky-dory between men and women, we don't have to worry anymore, and men come into me or call me afterwards alone saying I couldn't say this, even in that small group, uh, because they would laugh at me, you know, but my wife is after me because all the women, all the lawyers I work with are women and we're always traveling, or I don't know how to do this. There is, it, it, this is something we have to recognize, and you know, I think for a lot of men, it's genuine. They, they, would not, they would mentor women. It's not that they don't like women or that they deliberately, you know, uh, want to hold women back. But I think some of them are feeling that I'm not, I don't feel welcome because if I say something that the women think I should know, they're going to criticize me. If I say something that they think is stupid, I'm, they're going to criticize me. Uh, it's, it's partly you know, fear of being accused of something, but it's also partly a concern about uh, just how I'm going to be perceived. And so I say this not to excuse the men or say you can, it's okay, don't worry about it. I say it's your obligation, get in there and do it. But I don't think we can write it off as something silly and irrelevant because this is how people feel. And we have to address 
those feelings and make make them realize, you know, you've got to learn to deal with it. I can help you to the extent I can. I'll try, but that doesn't let you off the hook. You cannot mentor just men. Sometimes you have to be alone with a woman, figure out how to behave yourself, how to build a reputation and demonstrate a character that is unthreatening, that is focused on the being professional and treating the woman as a professional and not making any assumptions. I mean, I wrote a book about this that was for men called Sponsoring Women, What Men Need to Know, because I felt nobody was, was talking to the men about how to do this uh, without feeling that you're being set up for criticism or failure. So, um, but, I do, but I don't think they, you know, that any of this can be used as an excuse uh, you know, whether they're afraid of it or not, get over it. You know, <laughs> you're working with women all the time and people do this every day and there's no reason you're going to be singled out uh, just because you're, you know, really sensitive about it. I mean, I will say mentoring um, is somewhat different within a law firm setting than the rest of the law firm world. It has very little technical, substantive, rule-based stuff. So it's often less comfortable for the majority of our lawyers. So I think it's easy to get the tone wrong or make a misstep and the key, as Ida said, is to celebrate it when it's happening. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to keep happening um, until it becomes part of the culture uh, of your firm or your office. Well, great, well, thank you very much. I'd like to thank my guests, Morgan Smith of Dykema Gossett and Ida Abbott of Ida Abbott Consulting for sharing their insights. We look forward to you joining us for another edition of PLI's PD Insider. This is Craig Miller of the Practicing Law Institute. Thank you.